Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ. We've been in Mark for a long time, but we've reached the crucifixion. Mark 15, 20 to 32. And it's really interesting that we landed on this passage today. 9-11, right? Very, very interesting, the timing. And who can forget that day? It's hard to believe. 15 years ago, the planes crashed into the World Trade Center. The, the building, the World Trade Center's crashed down. So many people sacrificed their lives that day trying to save other people, the policemen and the firemen and, and a lot of friends and co-workers and complete strangers sacrificed their lives to, to save and to try to save people that day. And as we land on the crucifixion and communion today on this 9-11, it's a reminder to us that Jesus Christ made the ultimate sacrifice in order to save us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship. We thank you for bringing each one of us here. We know we're here for your purpose, for your reason, for many different reasons humanly, but we know that it's all because of your purpose and your reason that we're here today. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and and touch us through your word. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's uh, just read the passage. First of all, starting with verse 20. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes, and they cast lots to see what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heap insults on him. Whew, there's a lot here. Verses 20 and 21. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. Remember we heard a couple weeks ago. If you weren't here, you want to get that one. Uh, then we saw a, a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, who, who was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. Once again, we did that sermon a couple weeks ago, carrying the cross of Christ, Simon of Cyrene, how he had to help carry that cross. We know from the other gospel accounts that Jesus started out carrying his own cross. He was carrying that cross. It was a lengthy route. It was like a a parade that the Romans would use from where he was beaten to where he was going to be crucified. And they would use this as a kind of a, a... horror parade. It was to warn people, this is what's going to happen to you if you mess with the Roman Empire, uh, to humiliate people, to entertain even some people, and also to torture the victim. And he was so tortured that he couldn't finish the walk. Remember, they impressed Simon to help carry the cross. They made him help out with that. 
This agonizing walk to the cross fulfilled several messianic prophecies and predictions. Isaiah 53, 7. Everything that Jesus did in his crucifixion was all part of it. In Isaiah 53, 7, it says he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Led like a lamb to the slaughter. And we talked about that already, about how he didn't fight what he was going through. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He was beaten. He, was, he went to the cross. He was led. He didn't fight it. And, and there's, there's a reason why God picked a lamb to represent Jesus. There's a reason why they stressing, Isaiah stresses like a lamb to the slaughter. When you were to take, a, growing up on a farm, if you were to take a cow somewhere, it's not easy. You don't lead a cow, you drive a cow. That's why they had the cattle drive. You know, you had to drive them. In fact, if you try, I just remember trying to get these, these, these cows and steers into the truck, and it was rough. And, and every time it was like this battle, you know, you could get hurt. And I was back visiting my parents a couple, uh, maybe about seven years ago now on Thanksgiving. And my dad said, oh, i got to put a cow on the truck. The guy's coming. I'm like, what? Thanksgiving Day? What is this? This isn't Walton Thanksgiving. So they, they got to help with this cow. And I knew what this meant. It was going to be a battle. And sure enough, we get out there, and you got this wild steer whatever it was, trying to try to get out in the, the truck, and they were chasing it and got bats, and they're trying to scare it, and it was berserk. It didn't want to leave its barnyard. So, and, so it, it finally, they finally get it up the ramp and into the truck, and, and I was supposed to close the gate, and, and as soon as it got to the end of the truck, it turned around and charged back toward me, you know? I was like... <gasps> And I had a bat in my hand, and I kind of stepped all the way and tapped it as it went by, and, and they ran, and my dad was so mad, and the guy who was driving the truck was so mad, and, and they, my dad looked to the other guy and said, he's been off the farm for a long time, you know, and I'm like, I said, I never would have stopped that thing, no matter how long I lived on the farm, you know, and I was like, what is this, you know, it, 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 uh, it, it was, I could never stop that cow, right, and so, but the lamb had, had sheep too. The lamb, totally different. They can be led. They would walk right behind you. A lot of times you didn't even need a rope. They would just follow. And, and, and they just were very humble and, and trusting. And that's a picture of what Jesus did. He was trusting his father, following his will, led like a lamb to the slaughter. And then also it fulfilled another thing. When he carried the cross, it also fulfilled Genesis 22, 6. In Genesis 22, 6, we see that Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. Remember when God told Abraham to sacrifice his only son? He was just testing him, but he was also giving a prophetic picture. Just as his son Isaac was, was called to carry the wood on his back, that's a picture of Jesus. Isaac is a type of Christ carrying the cross, his own cross. Only when Isaac was going to be killed, God stopped the knife. But when Jesus was to be killed, he didn't stop the crucifixion. Another type of that Jesus was fulfilling. And also going outside of Jerusalem. If you've ever been to Israel, you see where Jesus was crucified. is outside of Jerusalem. And that's also fulfilling another scripture. Leviticus 16.27 says this. The bull and the goat... For the sin offerings, whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement, must be taken outside the camp. Their hides and flesh and offal are to be burned up there. And we see that the writer of Hebrews says that that was fulfilled. In Hebrews 13, 11, and 12, was fulfilled by Jesus. The high priest 
carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Fulfilling scripture after scripture. But the religious leaders, the Roman Gentile, the, the Jewish religious leaders and the Gentile Roman officials are unaware that they're fulfilling scripture, unaware that they're fulfilling, fulfilling prophecy, Unaware that they're fulfilling the ultimate sin offering and the ultimate Passover sacrifice. They're unaware of that. They're just in a hurry to kill Jesus. So they take him straight from Gabbatha to Golgotha. Remember Gabbatha, the place of judgment, right to Golgotha, the place of execution. Mark 15, 22, what he says... They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. The place of the skull. They're in a hurry to take him there. It's a place of death. It's a place of crucifixion. It's also a picture of death. And if you've ever been to Israel, there's a couple arguments about where that actually was. I believe that they found the right place. Gordon. Gordon's Calvary, it's called. If you want to Google it and look it up, it's just a very, very touching, very sacred spot. To think that this was the place that the place of death that Jesus died. And then we see in verse 1533, verse 23, I'm sorry, 1523, then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. They offered him this wine mixed with myrrh. It was like a narcotic to deaden the pain. Think of surgery. You get surgery, you get the narcotic. But Jesus refused it because he was going to suffer and die for our sins in our place. And he had to fully experience, fully experience God's wrath. Fully experience the suffering and the death that he was going to face there. There's no shortcuts No shortcuts to what Jesus was going to go through. He wanted to be in full possession of his faculties as he carried out his father's will. Like Braveheart, the movie Braveheart, when, when, you know, Wallace spits out the narcotic. You know, he's not going to take that. He's going to go be killed and experience it all. And that's what Jesus did. He, he had the, there was no shortcut to the suffering. And so in verse 24 it says, And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes, and they cast lots to see what each would get. And they crucified him. Crucified him. Crucifixion was for the vilest criminals. They didn't just crucify just anybody. It was a person that the Romans really wanted to not only kill, but to totally torture. It was was the vilest criminals, and the Romans were experts at torture. They invented crucifixion because it was slow. People were out in the sun being burned by the sun. They were thirsty Dying of thirst, literally. They, they were bleeding slowly because of all the torture. They would bleed out slowly. Not enough so they could die quickly, but over, over a day or two. And they couldn't breathe. This is what a lot of people don't realize. The way that they hung the people, Jesus being hung there on the cross, nails in the hands, nails in through the feet. And the only way that they could get up to breathe, because you can't breathe hanging the way that they had, that had them hang. They couldn't catch their breath. The only way they could breathe, they had to push up on the nails in the feet. Push up and catch a breath and then sink back down again. That's how the only way they could breathe on the cross. It was torture. That's what Jesus went through for us. And Mark doesn't describe crucifixion in detail here, does he? Guess why? Who is he writing to? The church in Rome. They had seen it many, many times. They knew exactly what a crucifixion was. They don't need to describe it. They knew there's no need to. But David did describe the crucifixion 
in detail, 1,000 years before Jesus died on the cross. David speaking through the Holy Spirit in, in Psalm 22. He described it very... Now remember, crucifixion wasn't even invented in David's time. The, the Jews killed people how? Stones, stoning. That was the Old Testament punishment. But there was no such thing as crucifixion. And yet David in Psalm 22, you want to read it, something, the whole thing, it's just amazing. I'm just going to read you a couple of verses here. In verse, uh, Psalm 22, 16, we see the, him fulfilling this. Just a minute. Verse 16, he says... Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. The entire chapter is a a description of crucifixion, unbelievable description. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Then also, hang on to that spot, go back to verse 15, 24 again. Mark 15, 24, he says, they crucified him and they also did something else there. They also, dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each one would get. They gambled for his clothing. One of the perks, one of the perks of crucifying is you got to keep the clothes. And you say, well, what's the big deal? In Jesus' time, people usually only had one change of clothes. They had one cloak and one change of clothes, and that's all they had. You just couldn't go into your closet and have hundreds and hundreds of options, ladies. Uh, but uh, you, could, you didn't have that. You had one op- two options, A or B today, you know. And, and so it was a big deal to get the clothes. It was a perk. But it also fulfilled another prophecy. Back to Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. it says, They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Amazing. Amazing. They had probably stripped Jesus naked. Now, I know we don't have those in our Sunday school class, the pictures of Jesus on the cross naked, right? And a lot of us don't picture that, but Romans usually strip the person naked to crucify them. And they did that to humiliate them. But also, God allowed it because it was another reverse the curse moments. A reverse the curse moments. Now, get this, follow me on this. Adam, Adam the first man, was clothed by God to cover the shame of sin. He sinned, God put clothing over him so he wouldn't be naked anymore because they now had the shame of sin. But the second Adam, Jesus is the second Adam, you read Romans, he's the second Adam. The second sinless Adam was unclothed by sinful man to carry our shame. Did you realize that? I'm going to say it again. Just so, the first Adam was clothed by God to cover the shame of sin, but the second sinless Adam was unclothed by sinful man to cover our shame. Another reverse the curse, which we've been seeing many of. Then we go to Mark 15, verses 25 and 26. We see something else amazing. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. There was a sign put over top of his head, The king of the Jews. Each of the different gospel writers record a different part of this sign because every different writer has a different emphasis. They're writing to a different audience and they focus on different parts of the sign. But when you put them all together, we know the full quote of the sign was, This is Jesus of Nazareth the king of the Jews. 
This is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Now let's look at John 19, because an interesting little episode with a sign. In John 19, verse 19, picking it up, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered him, What I have written, I have written. <laughs> As in, shut your mouth or you'll be crucified too. That was an obvious threat there. He ticked off the religious leaders, and they want him to change it, and he says, no way. For once, Pilate stands firm, right? And he threatens them. But Pilate couldn't have changed the sign. He couldn't change it. Why? Because he was a prophet unaware. He was a prophet without even knowing it. He was, this was God's word. This was God's witness to his son Jesus. And it said many read it. When they say that many reading it in Jerusalem, this, was, this went viral. This went viral in Jerusalem. It spread like wildfire throughout Jerusalem. And then it also says in verse 27, back in Mark 15, verse 27, they crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. They crucified him between two robbers. The word robber here is the same word that we saw for Barabbas back in John 18. Remember we saw Barabbas 18? Same thing for Barabbas. So it's very possible that, it's a, that he, these guys were in his gang. Very likely that they were in his gang. They were terrorists. They were killers. That's what they were. They were robbing and stealing and killing. They were insurrection. They were to be terrorists of today. And very likely that that's what these guys were. But remember, Barabbas wasn't there. Remember we focused on that one sermon? Jesus took Barabbas' place on the cross in, in, in place of us. He was like symbolic for us, right? But these other two guys in the gang are crucified here. Uh, now remember how we um, took our place, took all of our places, but also it fulfilled Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, another clear description of the cross. Amazing, amazing description. This passage is probably reached more Jewish people for Christ. More Jewish people have put their faith in Christ because of this chapter than any other chapter in the Bible. Because it describes Jesus unbelievably in the Old Testament. But in verse 9 and 12, listen to what he says, the fulfillment here with this one. It says, He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. We'll see that next time. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide spoils among the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. Numbered with the transgressors. Fulfilling, he's being killed and and considered the vilest criminal in the Roman Empire. Then in verses Back to Mark 15, verses 28 and 32, we come to the culmination here, which we're going to look at today. Verse 28, uh, oh, start with verse 29, I'm sorry. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross. 
that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Jesus is mocked by the spectators. He's mocked by the religious leaders. He's mocked even by the two thieves on the cross, which once again, Psalm 22, verses 7 and 8, we see more fulfillment. Verse after verse that Jesus has fulfilled. Hundreds of verses that Jesus fulfilled of prophecy. But in Psalm 22, 7 and 8, it says, All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. Take some time to read and be amazed at the proof that God has given about his son Jesus Christ. So even the, even the thieves are mocking him, but one of the thieves stops mocking him. He starts out mocking him because they wanted to be saved. But, but one of them stopped mocking him. Instead, he was convicted. Convicted as he hung there on the cross next to Jesus. In fact, in Luke 23, we see the story in Luke 23, starting with verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. One of the most hopeful scriptures in the entire Bible. The thief on the cross. That thief is in heaven. He went with Jesus that very day, even though he was a robber. But much more than a robber, he was a terrorist. Romans didn't execute somebody for purse snatching. <laughs> they, didn't put him, I should, they didn't put him on the cross for purse snatching. This guy was a terrorist. He was one of the Barabbas insurrectionists. He was a cold-blooded killer. That would be like, imagine next to the cross was hanging son of Sam, David Berkowitz. You remember the David Berkowitz? The guy was a serial killer, terrorized New York. Uh, or Jeffrey Dahmer. You know, can you imagine him sitting next to the cross saying this to Jesus? Remember Jeffrey Dahmer? The guy who killed people and cut up their bodies and ate them. He cannibalized them. Oh, horrible stories. And, and then, or, or even uh, uh, Ted Bundy. Remember Ted Bundy who tortured the people and killed them in these gruesome ways? Oh, just Horrible. Could you, could you imagine? It would be like one of those guys stand, sitting next to Jesus on the cross. I mean, can you imagine them doing that? Can you imagine them being in heaven? Can you imagine them being Christians? They did. Each of those three men did become Christians. Google them. Google the stories about their faith. Unbelievable. Repentance. Horrified at what they had done. Totally repentant for their sin. Saying we deserve execution and we deserve hell for eternity for what we did. But we've put our faith in Jesus Christ. And testified to it. And they were, could have, they were willing, they said, we should be executed. But if they aren't, and some, some of them were executed, but others were killed in prison, murdered in prison. They said, we deserved it. 
We deserved what we got. But we're free through Jesus Christ. And some of you are probably thinking, that's not right. God shouldn't let them into heaven. That's the thief on the cross. We always think about the thief on the cross. This nice guy who's picked on by the Romans. No, he was a murderer. But God is showing us something. They're all in heaven while many good people are in hell today. All those good people watching the crucifixion are in hell, but this guy's in heaven. Why? Because it's all by God's grace. It's God's grace. It's not how good we are. It's not we've been good enough to get there. It's God's grace. It's God's grace. And this is here for hope for us. There's hope for all of us, no matter what we have done. We can come to the cross of Jesus Christ and be saved, even on our deathbed. But don't wait. <laughs> we never know where our deathbed's going to come, right? Even, but even at the very end of our life, we can turn to Christ no matter what we've done. There is hope for us that by God's grace, the death of Jesus Christ, we can be saved. These two thieves represent all of us. Both of them represent everybody on earth. We are the lawbreakers. We are the criminals. We deserve death. We deserve eternal punishment. Every one of us. Every one of us. But Jesus Christ took our place on the cross. He took our place on that cross. Isaiah 53, 12. I already read it one time. In Isaiah 53, 12 where he says, Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He bore our sin. He took our sin. And we all have a choice to make. Just like these two thieves on both sides of Christ, we have a choice to make. One broke and surrendered, and one didn't. One broke and surrendered his life to Jesus Christ and one didn't. He held on to his sin. He held on to his his hard heart and to his will. What will you do? What will each one of us do today? What choice will we make? John 3.36 gives us the choice. When when he says, in John 3.36 he says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. We have to make a decision to put our faith in Jesus or to reject him. Every one of us, we have to make that choice. Will we reject Jesus Christ and and mock his death for us or put our faith in him and give our life to him? Will we take that step of faith? I hope everybody here does that. John 3.16, back a few verses from that. In John 3.16, for God so loved the world. He loved us so much. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes, whoever puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad you are, we, you can, we can all come to the cross of Jesus Christ and have a brand new life. We can have a brand new life here on earth. It starts the moment you put your faith in Christ and then it goes on to all of eternity. We can have a brand new life through Jesus Christ. No matter what we've done. And the same goes for, for Christians. After we've put our faith in Christ, a lot of times we struggle, don't we? And some of us even quit. We mess up so bad we even quit on God. But it's never too late to come back to God. It's never too late. Yes, there's consequences for our actions. There's discipline and there's 
consequences for action. But if we truly come back to God, truly come back to him, he will take our mess and create something, bring something good out of it. He will forgive us and bring something good out of it. He's the ultimate junk artist. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God, no matter what we're in the middle of, no matter what we've made a mess of, in all things, God works for the good. He will work for the good if we will humble ourselves and come back to him. And remember this when we're struggling. We all struggle. We don't all crash, crash, but we all struggle. And, and so many times we're struggling, but God always wants us to come back. He's waiting for us to commune with him. He's waiting for us to reconnect with him. He wants that. No matter how shameful our sin is, no matter how shameful something we've done in our life, it doesn't matter. He wants us to come back. But we don't go to the cross again. Once you've come to the cross, you don't go back to the cross again. We only come to the cross once. Did you realize that? We come for salvation. We, we put our faith in Jesus. We ask him to forgive us. We repent of our sin. We give our life to God. We do that one time. But after we come to the cross, we don't go back to the cross anymore. We go to the throne. We go to the throne of God. And Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 says this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God... Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet was without sin. Now get this. Get this. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When we mess up, as, once we've gone to the cross and put our faith in Christ, from then on we go to the throne because Jesus has made a way to come directly to his father and when, when we're struggling or we've really messed up we come and we ask for God's mercy and grace mercy is forgiveness grace is, is strength to help fight the battle the next from then on it's that mercy and grace we come to the throne and we ask for that and that's what communion is all about communion is not just we're going to have the crackers and the juice no it's it's about remembering what jesus did on the cross for us so that now we can commune now we can come to the throne anytime no matter what we're going through no matter how bad we just messed up that's the time to go reconnect and ask for God's mercy and grace. That's what communion is all about. We're going to go to communion in just a moment. It rep the, the bread represents the body of Christ. The cup of juice represents the blood that Jesus shed on the cross for us. And it's remembering that. And we just place some, we place some worship music. And when you're ready to come up, you come up and take it and go back. You can take it with your family. You can take it alone. You can take it with a friend. However, it's between you and God, however you want to take communion. But there's two reasons why you shouldn't take communion, why we shouldn't. The first thing is we haven't put our faith in Jesus yet. Don't. The Bible's very clear. Wait, because you don't have communion yet. Until you put your faith in Jesus, coming to the cross, you can't go to the throne. So don't take it. Wait. It's okay. Nobody's looking around or trying to figure out who's taking communion. It's between you and God. But I hope you do that today. The second reason is if we're a Christian, but there's a sin in our life that we will not repent of. There's something in our life that God, we know it's wrong. God's convicted us of it. We're like, I'm not letting go of this. Don't take it in an unworthy way. Very, very serious, the judgment. 
But I hope you do, because today's the day to say, God, forgive me, I'm coming to the throne, I need mercy and grace. I'm going to submit to what you want for my life. I'm going to do it. I hope everybody does, because everybody can commune right now. Let's pray. As we go to this time of communion and time of prayer, I want to ask, first of all, Maybe you're here today and you've never come to the cross and put your faith in Jesus. But the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And you know today is the day of salvation. It's the day that you're going to give your life to Jesus Christ. No matter what you've walked in here with, whatever sin burden, whatever shame, whatever garbage you've been involved in, you can walk out a brand new person clean and a brand new life in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You can put your faith in Jesus right now. Just call out to God in your heart. Say, God, I, I repent of my sin. I turn away from that old life. I don't want it anymore. Please forgive me. Of every sin. Please forgive me. Because I'm putting my faith in Jesus, your son, who died on the cross in my place. He took my punishment. I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to him. If you've prayed that prayer of faith, then just like the thief next to Jesus, you have just received the promise that you will spend eternity in heaven with God. But your life's going to start changing right now. It doesn't start changing in heaven. It starts right now. God begins the, the, the transformation process. I want to encourage you to let somebody know you've given your life to Christ. Maybe you're here with a friend or a family member. Maybe you tell me on the way out or fill out the card and stick it in the box or email me, text me, call. Let, let somebody know so that we can be excited for you and, and help you in your new faith in Christ, encouraging you. For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us as we get ready to go to communion? Maybe you're really struggling with something. Now, let me say it this way. You are really struggling with something. We all are. We all need mercy and grace. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What do we need to go to God and ask for mercy and grace this morning, forgiveness and and help in our struggle 
Father, we pray for this communion time that your Holy Spirit would fill us in a special way, touching our hearts and, and, and healing our minds in a special way. I pray that this would be a step forward that we'll always be able to look back at this communion on 9-11, remembering that this was the start of a of a deeper walk with Jesus and, and, and a walk of victory, progressive victory in our life, of a radical change in our life, of, a, of beginning to commune with you in a much deeper way every day. We pray this in Jesus' name.